Welcome to the Agora Fertility Journals, where we talk about empowering the freedom of reproductive choice for everyone. I'm Natalie Silverman, host of the Fertility Podcast, and the Agora invited me to visit them in Hove, where they support a wide range of individuals and couples on their route to parenthood with wisdom, compassion, and honesty. This podcast series is all about their stories, dreams, and actual journeys to parenthood. The Agora Journals. I hope you enjoy them. In this episode, Thomas and Jason tell us about their surrogacy journey so far. It's a whirlwind of emotions between finding an egg donor, a surrogate, and learning about their own fertile health. But the best part is all the difficult yet inspiring conversations their route to parenthood has opened up with both their friends and family. Married house mm-hmm. and in the time that you've been together and you've been talking about wanting to start a family how did those kind of conversations go did were you speculating on what how it could pan out or did you have an idea of what the future mm. held as far as how your family was going to mm. become i think um early on in our relationship we both realized through conversation that we wanted to have children at some point um we've been really broody for a very long time um <laughs> And for, for a while, um, when Thomas was in medical school, he was delivering babies as, as a placement. And I was not convinced at some point he wasn't just going to walk through the door with one. Um, <laughs> but we talked about all the possibilities available to us. We seriously contemplated adoption and have not ruled that out as something that we would do possibly later on. But we both decided that it was important that we have children that were ours genetically ours biologically ours um and and i think also the difference between for us between adoption and surrogacy at the early stages we really want a newborn baby Mm. and just want that tiny little baby that's at home that's totally dependent on us Mm -hmm. i I feel as a first child having a two-year-old or a three-year-old they have to go to the nursery and that's kind of i feel that's strange because i just want to have the baby that grows into that stage of needing to go to the nursery and, and needing to sort that out. So we decided on surrogacy mm. for our first child to have the newborn and to have exactly that going from the very We beginning. say first child. I mean, we, we're talking probably about having two or three oh, yeah. by a surrogacy <laughs> if we can, um, and then still contemplating adoption to increase the size of the family. Nice. So yeah, it, it, indeed, yeah, indeed, yeah, like a one. team. Um <laughs> So yeah, this is this is where we're at. That's right. So knowing about surrogacy being the option that you want to mm. go down, what do you know about it? Where did you first start mm. to look? I think we started looking online as the first port of call and we knew nothing about it. I knew that it was possible, I knew it was legal, but nowhere I could find the recipe for what to do and I, I would love that. And I feel like it would be a nice legacy to leave for somebody a recipe, but it's probably very personal for every couple and it's very different. Mm. And I found there's lots of information out there, but it's very different information, lots of different opinions, lots of different avenues, and you just need to find your own from the huge amount of information that's there. Mm. It can sometimes be very confusing. And then the legal side comes into it, the financial side comes into it. And actually, finding a surrogate is not a catalogue that you flip through. It's actually through a friendship in the UK. 
how do you find someone when you can't advertise for it? You know, I can't, I'm, I can't walk up to somebody on the street and say, oh, by the way, would you mind carrying out a child? <laughs> so, you know, we wouldn't rule how, that out, but yeah, it's, it's still <laughs> a possibility. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> That's kind of scary. So, you know, it, it was really difficult to navigate the world of surrogacy of how it actually worked and how do you how can you make it happen? Mm. Because if it's not advertised, well, where do you find the information? But with more more time, more information, talking to people, getting involved, listen, listening to podcasts, going mm. to a fertility clinic, listening to others, uh, Fertility Fest in London, which we went to see, really helped to steer the information the way we need to take. I was just going to add to this. I think I think also two things. One is um, Thomas did some work at the Agora many years ago. Um, and when he was on a placement. And so it had, this place and surrogacy was on our radar as a consequence of that. And I do feel like his medical training means we're already clued into so much more than a lot of couples. So, um, at least process wise, we, we haven't had the same kind of mystification that maybe Mm. some couples have in going through this. The second thing is, because there is a lot of information uh, available. Thankfully, we both have quite obsessive tendencies. Um, We take on projects a lot. We're redoing a house at the moment. And these become like infatuations. So we have, I guess, collectively decided that this Mm -hmm. is something that we're obsessive about. So we will sit around listening to podcasts and searching the internet and finding out information. Um, uh, and, And that's one of the ways that we have kind of navigated this really big field. So at this stage in time, because we're at the early stages That's right. of, and mm-hmm. doing a lot of research, and like you say, you've got a certain amount of awareness. Mm. What are your concerns? <laughs> I think we have quite a few concerns. Um, I think one of the concerns that I've always had is about how you bring a child up in this knowledge, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, with and their story. With their mm-hmm. story, that's right, because this is they're going to be going to school with um, with other children who had a fairly conventional um, birthing story, and theirs isn't that. And I worry a lot about the politics of that. I then worry about the politics of potentially bringing in an adopted child into this situation. Um, I know it's not impossible, and um, there will be therapy and support in order to do this, but this is, I guess, me thinking into the future about how to navigate this, and um, when do children start asking these questions, and how do you start revealing it to them so that it doesn't sort of traumatize them? Mm. Um, I guess other concerns, of course, are um, about the cost of it and mm. uh, the somewhat troubling legal framework in this country uh, around it. The costs for us, I mean, have I mean, they, they're obviously a, a big deal, but we, we're managing that um, because this is something we want, and when people want something, they, they sort that out. But it does feel a little bit like um, like a tax. Uh, for people who, in our situation, don't uh, can't have children or can't conceive them uh, naturally, and indeed for people who have um, fertility issues who have to go through these same treatments, it's it's quite a lot of money to do. Um, and then the legal stuff, um, I think we're feeling a bit more confident with that now. But still, I think this mm. country has a long way to go in sorting that out so that parental rights are guaranteed um, from much earlier on in the process. And one thing that I've definitely touched on with this podcast before is the importance of seeking out that legal advice early mm-hmm. and be clear on what your options are, the different paperwork that needs to be drawn up, mm-hmm. and then understanding what could happen with regards to the parental order and all that side of yeah. things so that you're managing your own expectations. Do you feel that mm. that's something that we 
we definitely kind of instigated from mm. the start to, to take away that additional stress. Yeah, I think we we've looked in. I've looked into the law, and actually, um, as Jason said, we're a little obsessive with when we do something. I read the law. I read the reviews of the law and a few. Uh, academic documents you know reviewing that quite recently and I've spoken to a few law firms who advertise that they can provide help through surrogacy but at the same time what is legal or legally binding about the whole process is only the parental order nothing else not the surrogacy contract not the birth of the child not the handing over the child is actually applying for the parental order so different lawyers gave different advice different lawyers charged different fees, different lawyers could not explain what they would actually legally be able to do. So I found I found probably that avenue quite difficult because since there isn't really a law surrounding, you know, helping you through the process, what does a lawyer do for you for that fee? And, every, you know, they charge somewhere from 2000 to 15. And I felt like, well, what's the difference? Because nothing is legally binding until... The parental order so I found that a little bit unsettling because I felt like well I just want to know the truth I just want to know what's right yeah. and at the same time of course we understand that when there isn't a legal framework in place to kind of support parents anything even if it isn't totally legally binding is important to do because it helps protect you as much as possible so I think this is an area that we're still, I, I, in terms of our own assessment of it, the jury's still out, but we're doing our research on it. Mm. We're making contact with, with law firms. But we're still away a from, you know, we don't have a surrogate lined up yet. Um, we're at the um, egg harvesting and embryo making stage. So we're just thinking, I guess, um, that as soon as we get to the next steps of this, we will definitely move forward with something a bit more precise. But for now, there's a lot of question marks over this. Yeah. So let's talk about where you're at in the actual physical processing yes. because mm-hmm. as well as all the research and all the understanding and all the legalities and then, then there's the physical making mm-hmm. So that comes down to obviously finding an egg donor yeah, that's right. and that decision of how you work with the egg donor with mm. both of you. So talk to me about that, mm. that, that picking of the donor and obviously you yeah. come to the Agora and that, mm-hmm. I suppose that support and, and how you found that stage. Mm-hmm. So we were tremendously lucky in finding our egg donor because um, it's somebody who came forward and said, do you know what? I'll give you my eggs. And that yeah, is Yeah, it was like true. winning the lotto. Yeah, it's it like, what? <laughs> didn't have, have to approach. <laughs> so it so, is a friend and it's somebody who I started working with as a work colleague. And we became quite close, chatted, went for coffees and did dinners and and I do talk, we both talk about how we want children and people ask, well, you married, do you want to have kids? And I'm always very open, we both are, mm-hmm. about the fact that yes, we absolutely want to, want to have kids and, you know, people always say, oh, when do you want to have kids? Well, it's like, mm-hmm. well, five years ago, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I always, I'm very open that we want to have a surrogate child, we need an, an egg donor and all of that. And people listen, people think, people evaluate. And then we had now three people in our life that came forward in different capacity and said, this uh, friend, a colleague <clears throat> at work who said, do you know what, I'll give you my eggs. And it was at work, we were doing some paperwork together, sitting at a different desk. I was like, listen, if this is not, you know, this is not even funny. If you're going to say something like that, I'm going to jump on top of that and I'm not going to let go. 
So, you know, make mm. sure that you mean it. And she's <laughs> like, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm serious. We were lucky in this case because <laughs> um, our egg donor had previously considered donating eggs right. to, uh, to a gay couple. And that uh, had fallen through. And as a consequence, I think she'd already done a lot of the thinking necessary to, um, to know that she could make this decision for, for a couple. And, um, I mean, we then had to obviously meet her together because it's both of us are contributing to this. Yeah. We're both going to be um, sperm donors and, and have embryos made. So it was important that we both had a connection with her. And, and that, has, that has thankfully worked out. The, um, the, what Thomas has been talking about, I, I think this is something that we definitely recommend to everybody. It's become, I guess, kind of our advocacy is just mm. speaking about surrogacy all the time. I will talk about it with, you know, total strangers because you really don't. I mean, that's not necessarily saying appealing to people for support or for eggs or for mm. uh, for a womb. It's just talking about what you're doing and, and how you're mm. going about it. And you never know when somebody's going to go, oh, do you know what? You know, I've been thinking a lot about this and I can. And this is kind of what happened in this case. Yeah. I would happily donate my eggs. And generally, do you think that our perceptions of surrogacy have improved? Do you think people understand it more rather than just the crass comments of mm. the buying of a baby mm. when people do just throw stuff out there? Yeah. I think people are gradually getting there, but every, every conversation I have, I'm filling in the gaps for people. They don't know the law. They're always, they're often surprised about that. They, they can't believe yeah. that that's the way that it's set up. Um, the kind of the the you know how long it takes as well, which is mm. something that we've been like, what? Yeah. How can it take this long? But it does. By the time you do the tests and samples and the, uh, you're talking a long time. And mm. people think, I think, that it just can happen quite quickly. You go in on one day and you have embryos <laughs> made the next, and then like nine months later, yeah. this happens. And actually, no, this is. It's quite a long journey. Mm. Um, so again, I think that's Im important for us in our advocacy, just talking about as much as mm. possible and helping yeah. people better understand this process and its complications, but also kind of how wonderful it is. There's a really wonderful network of people that you encounter when you start yeah. looking into surrogacy and people's surrogacy journeys. And I always found people being very curious and interested. Mm -hmm. I never came across somebody who asked me the question. I was, oh, that's just strange. Don't talk to me yeah. about it, you know? People ask questions people want to know, and people follow up with the questions people who know us are around us. They keep asking. We had a friend of ours yesterday who said, well, you know, I haven't asked for a while. Can I just get an update? Because I just want to know. So that's quite, that's quite nice that people are actually interested. They want to know. They, they want to know how this, how this works. How so, happens. The so the update was that we, well, we're very happy. Well, yesterday was a happy day. It sounds really strange, but <laughs> first time in my life, I was a very happy about a period. And the reason Which is, obviously we can't have. <laughs> which we obviously... So, um, <laughs> exactly. So our egg donor um, lady is going through the process of all investigations. And we were waiting for the first period after contraception. And after many years of contraception, you can be waiting for a long time. So two months later, we finally had a period yesterday. So how does it feel mm. learning more about women's menstrual <laughs> cycle? That must have been, I suppose yeah. everyone's yeah. it's a bit different, but it's a whole new world of things that a lot of women don't even start yeah. and really understand until they're trying and realizing yeah. it's not that straightforward. I think, I think it's been, for me, it's been quite wonderful because I know the theory of it. I obviously, you know, never going to experience it, but just watching that happen and needing things to happen and mm. For the first time, being anxious because 
your cycle should be 28 days. Does your period happen on this very date? And when it doesn't, what does it mean? Mm -hmm. And two weeks later, when it doesn't happen, do you do a pregnancy test? And we did, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> so you start, you know, you start thinking about that as well. And, and it's, it's, quite, it's quite nice because then it's both of us, you know, thinking about discussing at home you know, we still haven't had a period. So it's like, it's yeah. not us. But. It's like dinner conversation. <laughs> what do we do about this? Um, I think uh, I've probably learned more about women's reproductive health through this than Thomas has, given what he does as a career. Um, but also, I think we've discovered a lot about ourselves um, because of the testing, which we started in January with um, the first samples and blood tests. And each of those have revealed different things to us. Um, we did DNA fragmentation and both of us in those samples had abnormalities, which which means we're going to do what's it called when you see. So we're going to inject the sperm into the egg. Yeah, to go great to know this, but you know we are, we are we are men in our thirties, and you would you would think that there's a strong chance that our reproductive systems would be totally fine, but under investigation, you never know what's going to. Mm. To come out of it. I'm going to say we're hugely abnormal and couldn't conceive naturally if that was something we were attempting to do. But we now know in this circumstance and under these circumstances, our best bet for creating healthy embryos is this way. And did those tests have any impact on you about how you felt? Because from personal experience, speaking mm -hmm. with the route that we mm -hmm. went, mm -hmm. and it, it did have an impact on, mm -hmm. on my other half. You know, you did feel you know, sad about it. We weren't told in the best way, but you're, I suppose, investigating in a more proactive way. We were investigating and then we're told that was the issue and therefore that was what we needed to do. Mm -hmm. Yours has been a more of a proactive testing. Yeah. But did it mm -hmm. have any impact at all? Raise any concerns? I don't think so. I think it was nice that if one of us had come out with um, abnormalities, mm. meaning we would need to do this, I think we would have probably, you know, if it had just been me, for instance, I'm sure I would have felt quite guilty. Um, uh, but because it was both of us and we had different, different issues. Yeah. Um, yeah, my sample kind of refused to bond with the protein sample in the like third stage of the test. And I think that's kind of amusing. Actually, we were laughing about it because it's like anything, um, vaginal <laughs> and my body's like, no, not doing it. So, <laughs> so, um, that's fine. <laughs> exactly. It's like, no, thanks. Not, not interested. But they were like, there were good swimmers in there. So that's yeah. all fine. And, and Thomas had a different thing. So we were able to kind of laugh about it. Um, right. And and I guess, you know, in the decision making around um, the, the way that we're going to have to make the embryos, it was like, whatever is going to make them yeah. the, the best. And we do it. And I kind of, I don't know what it was, but I felt a certain relief when they said, yes, there are issues on both sides and we would suggest you do ICSI. I didn't want them to say, well, we could try it to do IVF, but, you know, the chances would be better. I didn't want to be in that limbo of making the decision. Yeah. The time they said, you know, the best chances, the best bet you have to create embryos, we would recommend to do this. I felt relieved because I felt, okay, it's over. We've tested. I know we can make it. Let's just do it. Yeah. And I also remember when I was a medical student on my placement here at the Agora, I watched ICSI happen under, under the microscope when somebody, one of the embryologists did it. And I, it was the best moment. I did cry and the embryologist probably thought I was absolutely crazy. <laughs> I don't know. It's something you never see. It's different seeing it on the telly because it's a movie, you know, it's a video where you actually look down on a microscope and somebody baby was just created in front of you. That was a special moment. And I feel like that's how we're going to do it. 
So I've seen it happen. That's how we're going to do it. And it feels quite reassuring. Mm-hmm. So going back to that update that you told your friend yeah. yesterday, <laughs> you've had your period. Yes. And what's happening now? Today, blood test. Uh, and then we can move on to the next phase, which yeah. is... Got ultrasound scan just to make sure what the ovarian reserve is. And essentially, we, we Jason and I have gone through all our testing now. And our um, egg donor is going through the last stages of her testing. And last is the bloods and the ultrasound. And then we can, uh, the Agora will help us design the treatment of injections to stimulate the ovulation to create as many eggs as possible for the day of harvesting. So we kind of hopefully towards like a running towards the harvesting stage. Mm -hmm. And on the day we, uh, because there's a change of regulations for the, um, the human tissue act. And um, now the frozen sperm has to be frozen for three months before it's cleared and ready to use, mm-hmm. which happened quite recently, I think just about a month ago, which we are not quite ready for because we are in the middle of a different regulation. So the way we're going to do it, we're going to create the embryos and freeze them for quarantine for three months. So we're going to actually use, instead of a frozen sample of our sperm, we're going to use the fresh sample on the day but then we cannot use the embryos for three months because mm-hmm. they need to be quarantined. And that's interesting because that just happened in the middle of things. I got a message from the Agora saying, the regulation has changed, but this is what we're going to do. And we always found there's been a great communication with us and um, the Agora here and Laura, who's our uh, nurse who's looking after us. Uh, she's been absolutely amazing in helping us, you know, knowing what the journey is like. And uh, Carol, um, who runs the clinic as well, has been always present and very much very supportive and has always answered all the questions very promptly. So we kind of feel reassured that they absolutely know what's going on. That's why we came here. Mm-hmm. And we know what's going on, which is really useful because I don't like being a patient. I'm, I'm a doctor. I don't like being a patient. It's really odd and relying on not knowing and wanting that information, yeah, you know. Sure. So I'm out of control, so it's a little strange for me, but I've been totally at peace with this process, yeah. Well, I'll get Carol to explain more about what that regulation means. Mm. But obviously, the other thing that we need to consider is the surrogate. Mm-hmm. That's Finding right. the surrogate. That's yes. right. And you've obviously got one stage underway and mm. hopefully soon complete. Mm-hmm. So where are you in that process of finding a surrogate, have you joined any of the organizations like Surrogacy mm. UK? Or? Yes, we're on the waiting list um, for Surrogacy UK uh, and have just been amazed with their resources and their, their online presence. Um, everybody's so happy on like, the Facebook page and it does seem like genuine friendships, even if it doesn't lead to IP and surrogate like unions, that people become like friends and mm. and. Um, yeah, exist in, in interesting, fun ways together. We've also, because um, we t- again, we talk about this all the time, we have had friends of ours come forward and say that they would happily um, be our surrogates, but there's always conditions. So it's like, I would love to do this for you guys, but I want to have my children first. And so that delays things for us. And I think that's a probably a common uh, occurrence. Um, we've recently had uh, a family member uh, approached Thomas at a family event and uh, say that she'd given it a great deal of thought, um, her and her husband, for two years, and they, she wants to do it. 
and she's had mm-hmm. her two children and she's about my age. So this is what we're pursuing right now. And it, at that moment, as soon as I found out that bit of news from that person, it made perfect sense. So it is looking up that we will have a surrogate mm-hmm. in place properly within the next six weeks, hopefully. And I think with her, because she is a family member and we, we don't really have female family members who could be potential surrogates. We They're look, all in their 60s <laughs> or older. It's like, nope. Yeah. yeah. And they, they kind of look like, yeah, that would be great to have a family member, but I'm not sure we have one. And I also never felt like approaching people because I, that's a strange question to ask someone. But she came um, and said this. It's now a month ago. And it was a busy uh, family thing and we couldn't really discuss it, but they're coming over for a holiday in a week. And they essentially said, we spent two years thinking, we know we want to do it. We just want to know how, because we don't, mm. you do. So we're coming over and we're going to, together, we're going to figure out how and when. And where the questions, I, 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 found, I found it amazing. The question she was asking wasn't, should I do this? How does it work? The question, questions were, where do I give birth? She lives in another you know, country. She kind of, I need to she kind of moved on from that. The whole process, that was given the process. It, process was given, being a surrogate for us. She didn't ask questions, how do I explain it to friends? How do I explain it to family? No, she just wanted to know, where do I give birth? You know, can you take the child home from the hospital straight away? So she kind of moved on emotionally yes. and mentally. Yes. Yeah. So that was quite interesting. So we're going to have this chat with them. Yeah. So this is super exciting next week for us. Um, But we're still going to continue pursuing membership Mm. with Surrogacy UK and do that because, again, we want to have more than one child. And Mm. we feel like these things should be running in parallel. Uh, Yeah. And I think how you, Jason, said earlier that we are a little bit anxious about the future. You know, how do we explain it to a two-year-old, five-year-old, 10-year-old, 15-year-old? They are a surrogate child it is going to be easier in 10 years time because Mm -hmm. it's not new now, but to many people it is certainly in schools, it'll be better in 10 years time. I think being part of surrogacy UK, you have that network of people, you have the network of surrogate children, people go, they've been through the whole process. They go on holidays together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think being part of that for us, it's a bit of a reassurance that the people are there, the group is there, the information is there, the experience sharing is there, and we can tap into it and be part of that and you know, be help and help yeah. in the same process. And the decision to do it all in the UK, because mm. there's obviously options to go abroad, mm-hmm. was that something important to you in how you created mm. your family? Well, I mean, the, the obvious uh, alternative for us would have been looking at uh, the states, um, which which people do even when they're not U.S. citizens, and I'm I am a U.S. citizen and a British citizen, um, but I feel really uncomfortable with the idea of a baby market. I mean, I know that isn't that way, and I don't want to um, uh, to upset parents who've who've done that because that was the right choice for them. Uh, but it is it is not the right choice for us, and I think um, part of that was knowing about. The good work ha- happening here at the Agora, we had these mm-hmm. connections and we knew through, again, our kind of obsessive research, how this system was working and we wanted to be able to do it here. It does it does feel somehow, um, and I again, I don't want this to upset anybody, a bit more ethical, the, the current system. For us, that's how we're judging it. So we wanted mm-hmm. to stay here. And we also wanted um, 
you know, talking to our child or children one day about this whole process, we would like them to know as, you know, as early as they ask in their own mm. mind and language. When they're two, you obviously explain it differently, but we always wanted them to know who their egg was. We always wanted them to know who their surrogate was. And I mm. felt that if we do it somewhere where it's more commercial, commercial, these people will probably disappear on you. And that's not what we wanted. We kind of, I don't want somebody on my doorstep or live next door to me. I just want somebody who wants that picture on a birthday or who will pop in on their holiday and say, mm. hello, you know, I used to carry you. In the conversations that you've had with the Agora or with any other um, friends that are going through this or have been through this, is it quite common for there to be a known egg donor as well as obviously known mm. surrogate? Because I would have thought that's a bit more unusual. It is a bit more unusual, and I we were I think we were super lucky that mm. we found an egg donor who is somebody we know and and the surrogate we know, um, and yes, more more people probably find a surrogate and get an egg donated from a, from an egg bank, um, but I I just find it quite nice that we created this friendship with both parts of of how we create this baby, and there were always no female who was the egg donor and they'll always know the female who carried them carried the pregnancy and gave birth to them mm. so they'll be two they'll have two ands <laughs> lovely now i know that thomas you were part of the uh, fertility education yes. program mm-hmm. that the agora uh, have, been, have been running and that you voiced hearing some of the youngsters talking about just having that awareness mm. being something that was really lovely to mm. hear mm. And that's obviously part of the objective of us sharing these stories and it's saying to the young you, yeah. this is something that you can think about. You don't have mm. to think because you're not looking at a conventional family. It's not an option. Mm. And that's something that I know you're kind of keen to, to highlight. That's right. And I, and I found that session here at the Agora with art students absolutely incredible because we started the day and... They're all very receptive and they listen. They were very interested. And it was nice to see how they developed over one day. They they had few sessions to describe how modern families happen. And then we had lots of different workshops with different themes. And they were creating a little art piece. So I was sitting on the kind of surrogacy gay parenting session and listening to the groups who were making monologues. And they had about 20 minutes and they chatted asked questions uh, for 15 and they created these crazy amazing monologues that they perform at the end from different perspectives they were they put them themselves in shoes of oh i'm a surrogate i I might want to be a surrogate what am i thinking about or i'm a surrogate i'm towards the end of my pregnancy i feel like i don't want to give up the child monologue or i'm a father of an 18 year old child through surrogacy and they want to find their sperm donor now why am I not good enough why was I good enough for 18 and it was quite incredible how much I got out of it the thoughts that they actually had that things I never thought about as well and it was quite incredible that they said they've never heard this in school they've all gone through school they were between 16 and 21 none of them not one of them said we've had anything anything more like this in school and it was an eye-opener for loads of them to understand how the processes work. And <clears throat> lots of them share their own experiences with their own partners. And young people talk about fertility. Young people talk about um, having children with their boyfriends, girlfriends. 
because it's something they do, but we don't think they do, but they do. And it was amazing. There was a girl who shared her thoughts um, on parenting and having children with her current girlfriend. And there was a guy with his boyfriend who were thinking about, do we adopt or what do you think about surrogacy? And they felt in during that day, they felt comfortable sharing that, um, which was amazing. So people think about it. And I think, you know, helping them, helping the education to have modern families teaching, fertility teaching, and actually say, it's okay to be subfertile or not fertile, or actually mm. two men, two women can't conceive without help. It's okay, mm. and there are ways to do it. So it, it was eye-opening, and I absolutely loved it. it, was, it, it absolutely. I had to miss this day, unfortunately, <laughs> but his, uh, I caught the train home at the same time Thomas was on his way home, and he was so excited and was telling me about these amazing monologues and was getting tearful about some of the responses mm. that he had seen. And of course it makes sense that if you put this on the radar of young people, they will have the right kinds of conversations. You know, they'll have conversations about it. I remember sex ed uh, when I was in school, which was a really dodgy VHS tape, um, which clearly only promoted um, uh, heterosexual unions anyway, in really embarrassing terms. The conversation was not about how it's done or fertility. It was how bad the video was uh, and how bad the lessons were. So if we can provide... The takeaway is, is ultimately how not to get. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So you don't... At that age, I guess at that age, people assume, educators have historically assumed, they're all probably extremely fertile. Let's just not let them touch each other because <laughs> that, that's going to work. Um, no, it's terribly naive. So let's have these conversations. And, you know, who can say that in our case, we were talking about the semen analysis, be it having these abnormalities, that may have been something that we've had our entire lives. And wouldn't it be nice to know that that's a possibility and that you need to be thinking about this mm. when you're 16, 17 years old? It's on your radar, at least then when you're mm. in your mid-30s. Um, it's not a total surprise to you. How would you both have felt 16 or 17 age 16 or 17 knowing what we know now about what we could mm. create mm. with family. that would be taking us back into um the <laughs> 90s and i think so much of what we're talking about would have felt kind of politically radical actually and particularly given that i'm from a small texas town um that i think even now some of what we're talking about there is 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 quite out there I'm trying to position myself at that age in the current climate, but of the same mindset from then. And I think it would have been wonderful to have had that. Actually, any kind of uh, sexual education that wasn't about abstinence uh, would, have been, would have been pleasant. Actually, mm -hmm. to have been treated uh, like a responsible adult with the topic, as opposed to having those conversations often shut down. I also remember thinking it took me a long time to agree to myself that I was gay and you kind of pursue I pursued it was a, again I was born and brought up in the Czech Republic it was a communist country you know lots of taboos it wasn't on the news it wasn't on the radio uh, the internet came in um, you know a long time ago but actually the time I started using was probably 15 16 and I didn't know anything about having children and being gay so actually you know once I figured out, actually, you know what, you are gay and that's okay, and you're gonna find find this life is, you know, you're not gonna navigate it. But I remember thinking the only problem I felt and a question 
and hurdle I didn't know how to solve was, am I going to be able to have children? I remember thinking that as a late teenager, thinking, but should I be straight because I want kids? Like, can I make it happen? And I didn't know how to, what, I, there was no information out there that I could find. And I remember thinking that. And so knowing this from school, knowing that modern families happen, knowing that there are options for uh, gay couples, for lesbian couples, for people who can't conceive, would actually be quite reassuring for me personally, because I would be like, yep, yeah, okay, I'm happy to be, okay to be gay, and I actually can have children. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that, and it took a long time to find that out. And I remember that was the first thing mum asked when I came out. She Well, first thing she said, well, I knew. <laughs> and a little bit later, she said, but what about grandchildren? And I did not have answers back then. I didn't know. I couldn't, I said, you know, you could prob- I could probably adopt one one day, but I didn't know. So if I knew from school, life would be so much easier. Yeah, I think this is a common lament of uh, parents who have gay children, because it, it feels like um, that possibility is off the table. Mm-hmm. And particularly for um, parents that are of our parents' generation, what we're talking about is really wild. It's just <laughs> outside of their frame of reference. So it's it's amazing how particularly our mothers are receptive to the, any baby. Any baby will do. But, oh, my God, <laughs> it's going to actually be your baby. That's exciting. And so any kind of um, anxieties they have about our sexuality, which have been actually those have gone a long time ago or totally erased in those moments because mm-hmm. they're going to get the grandbabies that they wanted <laughs> uh, and that they're going to get to spoil. What were those conversations like when you explained what you were going to be doing? It's always, it always feels like you're explaining you're going to go on a space shuttle around Mars <laughs> and you might maybe want, want to touch down and, you know, live there for, for a week or something. It's amazing how we live through that world and the lingo is very, com- you know, natural to us at home and explaining it to friends by explaining it to parents, they're always like, what is that? What? How does that happen? No, And then they also forget. So you tend to repeat yourself because it's something they haven't experienced. So I keep getting the same questions. So like, mom, told you yesterday. <laughs> mm. But it's really, I find it really cute because they're very interested. They keep asking every little bit. You know, my mom is visiting now for a week. And we actually came all the way from Eastbourne to Brighton today to do this podcast and she's here with us, so we dropped her uh, in town. She said, I know, speaking. well, she uh, she would love to, but you have to translate it, because yeah. she doesn't speak yeah, any she, English. That's the <laughs> so um, she's very excited, and she knows we are recording something here about, about the babies, and mm-hmm. so they're, they're very supportive, yeah. and they're super excited. I think, I mean, my mom has, as soon as she found out about surrogacy, that's what she's really been agitating for. That's her cause. Um, because she knew we were also looking at adoption and other things. And she absolutely would support us if we wanted to adopt a baby. And I have a twin brother who is is looking into that particular path. But for her, this has been a really important thing. She wants the baby to be genetically ours. Um, and, and I understand that. I think, um, again, from her generation, to just have something that's a kind of mirror of what she had with us is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's been totally receptive and lovely through the whole process. My dad is a bit, oh, he's Southern, quiet guy, so you don't get a lot out of him. But my mom can be a real chatterbox on these things. And I will explain what we're doing 
not as well as Thomas because he has the medical knowledge. So I will explain like the tests and things in quite pedestrian terms, but she gets it. I try not to be embarrassed in having any of those conversations. I'm like, no, we're going in for more semen analysis today. This is what we're doing. And and actually, I, I use the same lines with friends and family because I'm like, this has to be totally on the table as it is. Absolutely right. Um, and it may be uncomfortable for some people, but I've noticed mom does not have an issue mm. knowing that I'm going to give a semen sample and have it analyzed. <laughs> like she's fine. And one thing that we've started doing as a family on days that we come into the Agora for various tests, mm. and it, it happened for the first time in January, I would send out a text message to everybody saying, tomorrow we're in the Agora. Don't forget to dress nice. Like, <laughs> even though they're not coming with us, but it's like your grandbabies are being made. So like pay attention and like just be thoughtful throughout the day. So we've been doing that and documenting through uh, photographs and yeah. things um, our, our days here. And they're doing the same wherever they're at in the world. So it's kind of amazing. Well, it's such a part of the story. You were talking at the, at the start about the nervousness or the concerns that you might have about how to share that story. And mm. that's a whole other podcast as far as yeah. the support that you need and the importance of telling mm. and the support around the child mm-hmm. with the telling. Um, but like you say, we're able to document the same mm. different ways now, which is, which is lovely yeah. to be able to share. Before we finish, what would you say has been um, maybe a surprise element in what you've learned through this process? You've done a meticulous amount of research. You've got your medical knowledge. Mm. You've got the great support of the board yeah. that you're going through this process with. You've got friends and family involved, which is amazing. So some of the unknowns have almost been diluted. Mm. Have there been surprises that have maybe taken you aback or that you felt helped with the learning process? I think actually there's um, there's probably constant surprises, but on a small scale, you're like, "Ooh, that's interesting," or "That's fun," and then that settles. That becomes your your new normal. Um, I think the thing, and this actually is kind of outside of our process because I feel like our process is the process, and we're like we've accepted this, and any kind of weird things that come, I don't think we accept them as shocking necessarily, mm-hmm. but. This this may sound strange, but the the wider networks like Surrogacy UK and and the support we've been finding here at Agora and things like Fertility Fest, that's what I have been finding surprising. That there's actually a very large community of people who are going through the same thing, who are there to support and help and advise. And the generosity is not something that I've encountered in any other kind of medical treatment. I just did square, scare quotes, by the way, because this is a kind of medical treatment um, in my life. And and that is a constant pleasant surprise. And I I would probably agree that you know the hurdles that we um had to cross were always little. There's something you have to accept it as the new normal, and you go with it, and that's the process of learning. I absolutely found amazing and not not scary, but I just can't put myself in their shoes of finding people who actually want to help you. You know, finding those people who said, I'll give you my eggs. Somebody who said, do you know what? I've been thinking, I'm going to carry I want to carry your child. And I want to give that child to you. And I'll forever want to have that link with you. That's amazing, like how... isn't it? Like it's, so, it's like such an abstract idea, That's that right. kind of compassion. Mm. It can't be processed. Yeah. I mean, and actually, I mean, we're, the, the position that we're, looks like we're going to be in with mm. a surrogate might be different to a lot of people who go through um, and find a surrogate that is not related to them. And you think about that kind of compassion and mm. also 
we talked about the law earlier and 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 its kind of weirdness, but also it doesn't protect them either. Right. You know, at the end of it, what if, for instance, the couple weren't to to take their baby on their left as yeah. the legal mother of this yeah. child, knowing that that is in place, that is the law, just makes this an even more generous act because they're mm. willing to take those risks. It's a physical risk on their body and a legal one. So it's it's kind of remarkable. It is a remarkable. It thing. is remarkable, and it's. An- I find it amazing how lots of people actually want to do it, want to talk mm. about it. It's lots of people who just can put themselves in those shoes, and because I've never, I never sat there thinking, would I want to donate my sperm to somebody? I never thought of that, which is really odd because I should, uh, yeah. or you would think I would, because I'm going through the process from the other side. But did I know? Would I? I don't know. Never thought about it. But other people thought about these things on our. Yeah. So, you know, at the end, what it turns out to be, the most shocking thing is, despite the complicated world we live in, human beings are pretty good. <laughs> they make really lovely decisions, yeah. and uh, there, there, there are people out there who are willing to actually sacrifice a lot so that mm. you can have a family, and I think that's pretty cool. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast series, so please do subscribe and rate and review us via your favourite podcast app. And if you visit bit.ly forward slash Agora Journeys, you can give us your email so we can let you know when our next series is released and we can keep you up to date on our open evenings. <laughs>